everyone and welcome to Radically Normal. My name is Andre and I'm here with Michael and on today's episode titled Trials of Glory, we're going to discuss Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple as well as some thoughts on the tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus. Uh, we, we hope you guys enjoy this episode. Five days from when this releases and I'll be on a beach in Florida. But for right now, guys, you should see Andre at 7 a.m. and he is so tired. Yeah, man, I was I was packing last night and it just got super late and I just had to get it done before I went to bed. And then it ended up being like 1.30 before I actually like laid down and, and tried to sleep. And then, yeah, now it's about 7.30. I'm pretty tired, but I'm excited for this. And, and you know, I, I have the energy required to make a good episode, you know, so so don't don't be worried. I'm still going to, you know, we're still going to we're still going to have a good episode here. So keep listening. And uh, don't let that uh, make you turn away from, from this episode and pick a different one. As I always say and wish for a sponsor, I currently have my coffee with peppermint mocha cream. But I have to say, I'm really excited for this episode, A, because it's about the second coming of Jesus, and there's a lot about the future and a lot about trials for God's people. And then second is because there's a lot of misconceptions about this passage, in my opinion, both about uh what is what has already happened that's described in the passage and what is to happen uh, as described in the passage yeah man and one more thing on on the timing of the episode before we we jump right in um you know during the semester a lot of you guys know we we're we're, we're farther apart we're not in the same place so we record sometimes at nine maybe ten at night we're both free off work and school and all that and but you know in the good old days back you know when when covid was happening we uh we actually recorded, you know, kind of at this time, and we'd actually put in like three, four hours of recording time. <laughs> true. And um, so it's it's, it's, a, it's a little different vibe, but it's interesting that <laughs> um, what 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 might happen when we go back home for for this uh, holiday break? Are we gonna go back to the mornings and, and grind, or are we gonna we're gonna keep going on that later afternoon schedule? So we'll see what happens. But for today, oh we're gosh. excited to get into <laughs> Mark <laughs> Mark chapter thirteen, um, and um, there's there's two kind of um, specific sections and, and we're excited to kind of dive into those and, and, and hopefully provide um, some guidance and clarity from, from some of the materials that we've been looking looking through the past couple of day, couple days. So uh, looking forward to to dive in. So uh, yeah, let's let's uh, get started now um, with Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple. Um, and it is Mark 13, like we said. so it makes complete sense that part of this passage or part of this entire chapter is about the destruction of the temple because we have to remember the context that's came before it. In chapter 11, we talked about um, the cursing of the fig tree, and we also talked about uh, Jesus Jesus went into the temple and cleansed the temple. And then so in chapter 12, we had the parable of the tenants. And so we've had a lot about... um, judgment coming to the temple, judgment coming to the authorities. And so it makes sense that this follows suit in light of what we've already been talking about. It's very uh, topically organized in this section. Uh, Mark is emphasizing this as we get into chapter 13. Andre, do you care real quick if I just give like a little overview of like what verses I think are about this timing and this timing, just as like an overview before we jump into like verses one through two or something? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we should definitely do that uh, specifically uh, verses like one through about like 13 is, is what you're talking about. And yeah, 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 man, I think that's a good place to start. 
Okay, so there's just as a little background, there's a lot of debate over which parts of this passage were fulfilled in AD 70 when the when the temple was destroyed, uh, I think by Titus. Our lens for viewing this is that verses 1 through 13 are about the destruction of the temple, but they have in my view, echoes into church history. There's a type of topology. So there's going to be things that are said in, in verses 1 through 13 that also apply to today. And then verses 14 through 27 describe uh, an entirety of church history and leading and leading into like a final tribulation period in the in the future. And then it, starting in verse 24, which is still in the future, we see the second coming of Jesus. And then... Um, Later on, we'll talk a little bit more about if uh, other passages sort of reference back to the first century. But for the most part, it's key to see that the first big chunk of a verse is about, is about the temple, and the second big chunk is about the tribulation and second coming. And, you know, why, why might someone confuse uh, this first section, uh, 3 through uh, 13, as we said, as not being about uh, the, the temple, uh, but more so being about, you know, that uh, tribulation or second coming period. Wait, so are you saying why would this, why would somebody think this is about the future? Yeah, exactly. So specifically, you know, why would this potentially be disputed? So the big reason is that people see the heading above verse three or see the topic of verse three as signs of the end of the age. So they're like, oh, end times, let's jump right into it. But we, if you read verses one and two, Jesus has come out of the temple. So that's, that references back to Ezekiel chapter 10, when the glory of God leaves the temple. And uh, so then one of his disciples says to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones. So talking about the temple, and then Jesus says, this temple is going to be thrown down. And so he sits down on the Mount of Olives. This is like Ezekiel chapter 11. The glory of God sits down on the mount. And so this is the Mount of Olives. It's not like he climbed Mount Everest. It's just 300 feet above Jerusalem. And then uh, in verse 4, the disciples ask him, tell us when these things will be. But these things refers to the temple, the, the beginning question or the beginning topic that Jesus himself discussed. And so when it says these things, it's clear that this first section is about the destruction of the temple. And there's other textual clues as well, but that's just maybe an intro. And then real quick, just uh, before I hand it off to Andre to uh, begin to talk about what it says are signs of the end of the age. I just want to point out to us, it's just like, oh, the destruction of the temple is just like the end. Like, you know, they came and destroyed some religious building. But this would have been as shocking a statement as possible. This was a big part of how the Jews understood God in the world. Psalm 78 refers to this, refers to the temple like it's a symbol of the heavens and the earth. And uh, when the first temple was destroyed and the people went into exile in Babylon, it looked like Yahweh was defeated and it looked like he was no longer with his people, which is why Ezekiel 1 was so surprising because God shows up to Ezekiel, not in Jerusalem, but in exile. And so the, the temple being destroyed, Jesus prophesying about this, this is part of what ended up leading to his crucifixion. And this was part of his trial. So this is a big deal. Yeah. So jumping like specifically into, you know, what is actually said here, um, the disciples, um, are looking at the temple, or likely they're you know at the temple. Uh, thinking back to you know when uh, season one we talked about Nehemiah and Ezra. You know that's when the, the temple was you know rebuilt. Uh, we know that it wasn't in its in its um, you know full glory of you know how it used to be. But um, you know the disciples are here and, and they're asking of of this you know wonderful building and, and the wonderful stones. Uh, I saw that likely. Um, what they're talking about here is, is some improvements or renovations made by uh, King Herod um, here. But, you know, 
I think they're just like specifically asking about this. And then like, like Michael said, this, this uh, passage is, is uh, more specifically about the destruction of the temple. And, uh, you know, Jesus tells them that, you know, it will be uh, destroyed. And, you know, they're asking, uh, you know, when, when will we know that these things are going to happen? And, you know, specifically, I, I think that, you know, like Michael said, some people might confuse this for more of like an end times thing because, you know, they're asking that this language um, is kind of uh, the same that is used in other places where, you know, the disciples might ask, um, you know, what are the signs that we know that this is coming? And, you know, Jesus begins to tell them some things um, that also seem like they might, uh, you know, be related to end times. But uh, I think it's important to uh, point out that, you know, he's talking about, you know, he says in verse seven, and when you hear wars, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Uh, this must take place, but the end is not yet. So I think that potentially, you know, the disciples were thinking the same thing that some people might be thinking that, you know, they're, they're, they're asking you about the temple, but Jesus is implying about the, the end times. But, you know, Jesus right here, I think, is addressing this and saying, you know, there are things that, that are going to happen that need to happen. You know, that's not the end because, you know, he says here, uh, the end is not yet. But, you know, he's talking about, you know, people are going to uh, say that they're um, the Messiah and that it's going to be, it's not going to be true. Um, he's saying that they're going to be wars. Yeah, and, and among other things, um, he, he gives other examples of um, earthquakes and, and famines and, and such. But, you know, you know, I think it's important to focus on, on when it says, you know, the end is not yet. Um, he's saying that, I think he's saying that many of these things that he's talking about that must happen uh, before the end times. He's talking about, you know, when the disciples are going to be on their ministry. Uh, this is a time before the end times, before the tribulation period, before uh, the second coming. Um, he talks specifically, you, you know, he alludes to their death um, of, of the disciples, but like Michael said, potentially also um, this extends into some of like the church age of other people who aren't just specifically the disciples um, of some of the things that he's foretelling here. Yeah, one thing that I found interesting was that at first it seemed like uh, one a view. So there is a view that just says verses five through thirteen are specifically about in the entirety of church history, and they're not just in the first century, and they're not in the future. And at first, I found this the most compelling view because it doesn't feel like you can date a lot of these things. You know, different wars, famines, all that stuff. But it turns out that there were lots, and there's, he says, people will say that they're me. Like, people will say they're the Messiah. But it turns out, as I was reading more, there were lots of false Messiah claims in the in AD 30 to 70. So between Jesus' crucifixion and, his, and the destruction of the temple, there was lots of violence, lots of attacks. There was a famine, and that's recorded in the age of Claudius in Acts chapter 11. There were earthquakes. So a lot of this did occur in that time. And then like Andre said, I do think there's like a typology that goes into church history. Because listen to this, if you start reading in like verse 10, the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations, and they're going to bring you to trial. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit's going to speak through you. And so I think also that this can be applied to our own day, religious persecution, or just whenever we're witnessing to the gospel, uh, we need to have this same uh, sense of security in the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, Second is just that just like in the in that day right before the destruction of the temple the the Christians were being persecuted and it would amp up later in the empire uh, before Constantine but it's still true today that if you are standing for Jesus you will be uh, disliked because you're standing for something that is in direct contrast to what the world likes. That's why in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that the cross is foolishness to both uh, the Greeks and to uh, the Jews.
Yeah, for sure. And, and then at the end, you know, very beautifully in, in verse 13, and you will be hated um, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I think this is um, somewhat of a warning that Jesus is giving to them, but also some encouragement. Um, he's saying, look, you're going to, um, you're going to be persecuted. Uh, you're going to be beaten. Uh, you're going to be killed. But, you know, um, you know, have hope that everything that you're doing is for the spread of the gospel, like what you pointed out, that so that all the nations may may hear the gospel and, it, and it's for Jesus' name um, and that they, you know, they will be saved. He, he's encouraging them here as well as giving them um, a warning. Um, and that's all I really have about this first section. If you have anything else, um, you know, definitely share that before we move on. Yeah, just one thing is a lot of people might think, okay, so if the first section is about events that happened in the distant past, and if the next section that we're about to talk about, starting in verse 14 with the abomination of desolation, is about the future, could be, you know, really soon, could be in however many years, uh, if that's the case, then how is this applicable? I need to worry about today. But Jesus himself is... uh, setting up two things. One is that you can always learn from the brothers and sisters of the past. Like when we read Acts, that is shaping us and forming us. And second is that eschatology, the study of the end times, is extremely practical. So we've been talking about this uh, in our time in the end times on the the previous Thursday episode and the one coming up this Thursday to be episode chapter or episode number 50, which is really exciting, by the way. Uh, but in terms of the end times, like this is practical because it's making us look forward to a future when, yes, there will be tribulation, yes, there will be trial, but Jesus will return. And so we need to be thinking about both things that have happened in the past to shape and form us as disciples and things that will happen in the future. You know, and I guess I just thought of one other thing, but like you said, it also gives us, you know, some some comfort knowing that, you know, you know the disciples, you know, if you think of... Um, Persecution in, in modern day, especially in the U.S., you know, it's it's nothing like what the disciples had to face. Um, and I, I think that it kind of prepares us, too, for, you know, what's yet to come, um, you know, especially as things get, you know, get crazier and crazier. Um, you know, there's there's some expectation that, you know, we know what, what's 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 potentially coming. And, you know, we have this kind of um, story, this, uh, um, you know, information about, you know, how the disciples went through it and and all of the, you know, the persecutions that they went through. But moving uh, into this, the second section here, uh, this this section, um, or the next two really, is really talking more about, like many of the, the topics in, in the book of Revelation of the end times. And pretty confidently we can say here that, um, you know, that's what it's talking about. Um, I urge Michael not to give too much of a, of a spoiler of, of the next episode, but it will be <laughs> relevant to, to go into a little bit of detail what's going on here. But specifically, starting in verse 14, uh, it's evident that Jesus is, is really alluding to um, not just not the destruction of the temple, but um, the abomination of desolation, uh, the, the really the judgment that comes in the, in the tribulation um, period. And he's kind of giving a description of, of what's going to go on there. And it is, you know, very, very um, detailed and very um, telling of how how difficult that that period is going to be. Uh, specifically, you know, meaningful to me and, and just you know interesting to read is, is when it says, and you'll hear a little bit about this as well in the next uh, Thursday episode. But um, 
speaking to like, you know, you know, don't take anything with you, you know, just, you know, pray it's not winter uh, when this happens. Um, you know, if, if you're pregnant, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be so difficult for those, for those women who are pregnant. Uh, it's, it's very telling that, you know, that this tribulation period is going to be just a very you know, difficult, very um, intense time. Yeah, I totally agree. And so uh, the first thing I actually want to do is not jump into a bunch of stuff that's going to be talked about in Thursday's episode, including, by the way, just as a little uh, thing that I put in the show notes on the last Thursday episode, tune in this Thursday f- to see where Andre and I disagree. But uh, as for this episode, I want to go back to Daniel, because if you read uh, Matthew 24, which is the parallel text to the, to this uh to this chapter, which is the this is known as the Olivet Discourse. Maybe should have said that from the from the outset. But so there, so the abomination of desolation is not just random language that's never been heard. So in Daniel eight thirteen, nine twenty seven, eleven thirty one, and twelve eleven, there is uh, an abomination that makes desolate. And so this is the exact language of Daniel. And so in my view, uh, we have that. Uh, in the 70th week of Daniel, which again is going to be talked about more in uh, the Thursday episode, we have a covenant for one week where the nations are rising up against God and the Messiah, and the end of the sacrifice mentioned in Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is an attempt to stop worship. And so I, and so Andre and I do believe that this abomination of desolation, it is a person because it says, when you see him standing where he ought not to be, this is the same person as the man of lawlessness from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll start reading in verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And so in that we see that this is the same person as the man of lawlessness. And so this is this antichrist figure who's rising up and attempting to stomp down worship of the creator God. And it's really interesting how, you know, this kind of ties back to the destruction of the temple because it's kind of talking, uh, this section is is alluding to, like you said, you know, that antichrist figure. And then also uh, in terms of like abomination of desolation, um, antichrist, you know, saying you know being this like idolatrous image of of like you know like trying to imply that the antichrist is is actually jesus it's kind of like you know this idolatrous image of of really you know jesus of you know this like temple image and you know so i think it it relates really well to the destruction of the temple because here's like the like destruction of you know, the, the idea of, of people worshiping Jesus, how they should. And, and now the Antichrist spirit comes onto the scene and it kind of like destroys that, you know, that holiness that's there. Yeah, exactly. And I want to make, I just want to dispel the notion of why perhaps we think this is not actually still about the destruction of this temple in the first century, because there's a lot of people who do. And so I'm very sympathetic to that view. And I do think there are good points there, but there's actually a lot of discontinuity between like what happened at the destruction of the temple and this passage. And that's why. And so, yes, uh, almost, uh, or most people would say Mark was written, and I would too, before the destruction of the temple in the year 70. But at the same time, it's Jesus speaking. And so that 
it, it shouldn't matter when it was written. But for instance, in verse 17, it says, uh, it, the verse 17 concludes with the words, those days. And so if you remember at the beginning of the chapter, we had these things, I think in verse four or five, and now we have those days. Well, the words those days are used in the Old Testament to uh, talk about the end time. Jeremiah 3.16, Joel 3.1. And so these types of verses uh, basically point to uh, a future day. And then when we get all the way back to the lesson of the fig tree, starting in verse 28, Jesus is going to say these things again, which in my view brings it back to that first century time period, destruction of the temple. But for now, the word, the words those days points to a future event. And so that's maybe one reason in my view why this is about the future and not something that's already happened in, in AD 70. Yeah. And then, and then looking back to, you know, the actual you know, sentiments of the tribulation period and, and not to get like too into it, but you know, it does say, you know, during these times, people are going to, you know, say that they're Christ, there's going to be false, false uh, prophets, um, people who, you know, are false about, you know, saying that they're Christ, he's saying, you know, don't fall for it, don't believe it, um, it's not true, it's going to happen, and this is kind of a, a warning um, to look out for this, um, you know, during that, during those times. So I think that, you know, this acts as, like, informational, and then also, it's not just, um, it's not just, you know, telling them just as like, you know, some kind of prophecy. Obviously the disciples didn't get to, um, you know, go through this tribulation period. So it's not just so that Jesus can like do, uh, you know, a, a sign of, of being able to, to, you know, foretell this, this event. This is more of a, a, a prophecy type thing. Uh, you know, we're going to see the fulfillment of this and it's, it's, a, it's also a warning um, of what is to come. Yeah. And so I will say that, and this is, Maybe tied a little bit more to Thursday, but again, Andre, I'm trying not to, to say anything. Uh, yeah, same here. It's, it's kind of tough, though. It's kind of tough. <laughs> but in terms of the tribulation period, I am, and we said this in the first Thursday episode about how there's two views on the tribulation. One is that the tribulation is just all of church history, and then one is that it's just a seven-year period in the end uh, the end times before the return of Jesus for the ushering in of the millennium. And I'm very sympathetic and very open-minded and think there's lots of good arguments to be made. Uh, towards the tribulation just being all of church history and one of them would be just that if you're looking back towards the first set of passage or like the first uh, passage signs of the end of the age uh, and the false messiah claims that Andre's talking about and that sort of thing that's what people are doing all the time many people are claiming to be the savior many are claiming to have answers to everything whether that be governments or institutions or leaders and so they promise the kingdom without the king and so i'm i'm open to that view but i think that i would still say even if i did if i did solidify my grounds in that view it's still very clear to me in the bible that there is a future period in which tribulation amps up and so it does definitely get worse before it gets better yeah and and one last uh, point that i wanted to um make that isn't necessarily tied to what we're, what we're going to be talking about in our, in our next episode and kind of, you know, bringing it back to, to today and, and how we kind of find ourselves, um, you know, in this present, present day, thinking about what, what already happened with the destruction of the temple and then, you know, this, this future um, event that's going to happen um, that we're still waiting for. And like Michael said, like, well, you know, you, you kind of mentioned, you know, that time in between and, and how do we fall into that? I think that there's, Two specific things that come to mind for me, um, you know, specifically, I think that knowing of the destruction that's going to happen and knowing how awful the tribulation period 
um, is going to be. I think that really encourages us to, you know, spread God's word. Um, in the section about, um, you know, the destruction of the temple, it says that, you know, everyone must know of, of the gospel. You know, I think it really encourages us to, you know, be bold in, in, in telling others who, who potentially don't know about of Jesus, you know, telling them about the gospel, telling them about um, this coming time and, you know, what is to come. And we have kind of a blueprint now to enable us to do that. And the second thing I think that it allows us to, you know, understand that, you know, we don't need to store our treasures here on earth because, um, you know, nothing is going to remain. It's going to be destroyed uh, just as the temple was destroyed. Um, we're going to see that, uh, you know, the earth will also be destroyed and we're going to see new heaven and new earth come out of it. So, um, we should focus more so on, you know, storing our treasures um, up in heaven, uh, kind of back to the first point by uh, being bold and telling others about about Jesus and about, you know, the gospel and what is to come. Yeah, uh, I'll let you kick us off as we jump into the into the return of Jesus starting in verse 24. But real quick, I want to do something with application as well. So if you start reading at the beginning in like verse 5, it says, See that no one leads you astray. Uh, and then verse 13, like Andre had discussed, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 23 is be on guard. And I'm sure there's other sections in this, but I'm not looking for every piece of it right now. And then the last, uh, the last verse of the entire chapter says, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And so there's this sense of spiritual urgency that we need to make our lives count and that we await Jesus's uh, return with longing. And at the same time, we're not just stuck in this longing where we're like sulking and waiting to get out of this place. We're using this time to witness to the gospel and we're using this time uh, to know that we're going to stand before the judgment seat. And despite being covered by the blood of Christ, we will give an account for things. And so we want to live with that urgency that Jesus is exhorting us to. Yeah, man, for sure. And then, and then jumping in, into you know the last few sections, um, as we try to you know get through those, you know, keeping timing in, in mind. Um, but this next section starting in verse 24, uh, the coming of the Son of Man. Um, this is uh, talking about the second coming, what is to happen after the tribulation um, period, and then um, kind of goes into some details there. The lesson of the fig tree is also, you know, likely related to, to this as well, as well as the last session, no one knows uh, that day or hour. So kind of like tying these all together, um, let's, let's start, let's start there. So we can kind of go in order or we can kind of, you know, cross between them and give different points, but, um, let's, let's jump into that, um, with the, with the time we have left. Okay. So the first thing is he says, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. This is verse 24. And so this is, this isn't new language either. This is old Testament imagery of God lifting up his people and crushing the people who oppress them. And so we're seeing that the, the end is near that, that God is going to pour out uh, judgment, but it's not just about that. The, the glorious return of Christ is the focus here. And so verse 25, the stars will be falling from heaven. The powers, the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And so I just want to start here with the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. This is Jesus saying, hey, you know that Messiah that's given eternal dominion from Daniel 7? This is me. Because here, let me read you verses 13 and 14 of what Daniel sees when God gives him a vision in Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
Jesus just said, that's me. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so this is the Daniel 7, the Danielic son of man, who's coming in glory, and he's going to gather the believers from across the earth. And so this is... No better way to say it than this is the second advent. This is the return of Jesus. This is what we long for. There might be different interpretations of different pieces, but everyone is sure that this is the return of Jesus in his glory for his saints, and we await that day. And, you know, thinking back to, you know, the book of Mark, I think it's it's great to see how there's going to be this, you know, this climax of, of the tribulation period. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. It's going to be super dark. Uh, the stars will be falling from heaven. Um, and then out of that, we see that, you know, Jesus gets to come back and he's going to call all the believers from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And he's going to, you know, he's going to come back to earth. And then, you know, that, like Michael said, is, is, you know, the event that we're waiting for. And then moving into the lesson of the victory, this is kind of, you know, giving um, some kind of information of, of knowing when the time is near and, and when those events will take place. So I, I was kind of a little bit confused here, you know, since I was talking of this darkness time, and then here's like this, more of this like summer imagery, um, how those two things kind of fit together. So uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Michael? So the first thing is that I was saying how these things in the first section correlates to uh, the first century, and then those things correlate to the future. This is the fig tree passage, in my opinion, goes back to the first century. It's not about the future. And the reason is because now Jesus is talking about in verse 30, he says all these things. And so this is going back to 13 verse 4. And so this is about the first century again. And the other thing I have to say Okay, well, the reason that this is talking about summer is because it has it correlates with when uh, I something to do with uh, blooming or how fig trees worked and how they were distinct from others. But basically, that that with the summer, in my view, summer comes without the effort of man. Summer, uh, summer just comes due to God's common grace, God, the predictability of seasons. And so, so does the kingdom. The kingdom comes just like the summer does for the fig tree. And then, uh, and again, I'm no tree or flower expert, so don't don't cite me on any of any or any pieces on that. But I do want to say that in verse 30, this is a contentious piece. I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So there's lots of opinions on. Well, is this about the the generation of the first century? Is this like the generation, uh, not literally, but just like a generations over long periods of time, which we've seen in like Psalm 24 and other texts. So it's not like that would be like the newest thing ever. Uh, I would probably say that it's the first century generation. One, that's the most literal way to take it. So that's gen that's an easier way to lean towards. And the second reason is because if he is indeed talking about the first century with all these things in verse 30, then it makes sense that uh, this generation is that first century generation that would see the destruction of the temple. And so I guess that's all I have on the fig tree. I don't know if I answered your summer flower tree question, but I hope I yeah, got something else I, in there. I, I guess... <laughs> Uh, the reason a little bit for asking is I kind of thought that that verse 30 point, you know, was kind of, of, of this like future time period. And, you know, specifically that, you know, the generation of, of, you know, in the tribulation, you know, whatever your views may be on that, which we won't really touch on here, but that that generation, um, you know, will see, 
you know, the coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus that, you know, it won't happen like sometime late, later. I think that, you know, Jesus is giving them that reassurance that, you know, once that tribulation period happens, you know, Jesus is going to come back. Um, you know, specifically doesn't talk about like, you know, the seven years thing um, here, but I think that, I think that, you know, the lesson, I guess you could say, <laughs> kind of cheesy, but uh, looking at this section, the next is kind of uh, telling the disciples and whoever, you know, reads this to be aware, be alert and know, you know, how bad these things are going to be, what to look out for. Um, but also to know that they're going to, when that time happens and when that time comes, you know, believers uh, still still on earth are going to see the second coming as, you know, believers in, in heavens and, and the second coming is going to come. And it's that, you know, that comfort as well. that It's going to be, it's not going to be like, oh, the tribulation is going to happen. And then we're going to have to wait a whole long time before Jesus comes back and, and restores everything. That's kind of my view. But I mean, obviously... Um, I think that both views are are valid and both can be, you know, supported with, you know, what's going on in this passage. And it, and it is, I will point out that it is difficult to make those um, analysis and, and you have to, you know, really uh, read for yourself, read what other people have to say about it. Um, and especially in this section where it kind of jumps back and forth and it's a little more unclear. Um, there can be multiple um, answers that are supported by other scriptures as well. And, you know, it's it's not something to fight over. I agree. And so I I totally agree, especially with your uh, view on theological charity. That's really good. We talk about that in the next episode as well. And so uh, what, I guess one other reason I do think it's about the first century generation is the transition as I begin to talk about the next section in verse 32, but concerning. So it's like a transition. So I've been talking about this, but concerning that future day, concerning my second coming, that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels, nor the son, only the father. And so this has tripped up a lot of people. How does Jesus not know when he's coming back? Uh, in my view, this is just Jesus and his humanity in the Trinity as uh, the divine son and his divine nature knows when he's returning. He doesn't have a distinct will of that from the father. He has the same uh, will. And so Jesus will return in accordance with the triune God's will for that to happen for uh, his glory and for our joy. And so like I have like I said before in verse 33 now, it says, be on guard, keep awake. You don't know when it's going to come. Uh, verse 35, stay awake. And so uh, this is a key thing here. Jesus saying, you know, despite all of this stuff coming, I don't even know when I'm coming back uh, right now, but you need to know uh, that you need to stay awake. You need to live with that spiritual urgency because it could come. You don't know when it's going to be. Yeah, and the, and the last thing that I'll say, and then kick it back off to you to, to give your last points and, and, and close this out, but I think that originally and in, in other sections before it, um, it's kind of warning and telling the disciples and all of us, you know, to be alert, they're kind of what is to come. And this section is more like how to wait. There's more of like a teaching of this is what you're going to do between now and then, uh, you know, to, to, you know, be alert, uh, be ready, kind of like this, uh, this story here of, of the master being gone and coming back and, you know, making sure that you're doing the work and, you know, you're staying awake and you're doing things that the master said to do so that when he comes, you're not surprised. And I think this is more of a, you know, what to do between now and then. It's kind of a, a more of a, a warning of, of how to live until that, that time comes. Uh, that's And that's kind of the last point that, that I'll make and, and kick it back off to you to, to close this out. 
All right, that sounds good. I have nothing ex- explicitly about the text, but we're in the season of Advent, and so I want to connect it to that. It's not, you know, Advent is approaching Christmas where we celebrate the birth of Christ, but Advent specifically is actually a season of tension, a tension between a reflection and a worship at the first coming of Christ and an, a longing and eager expectation for the return of Jesus. And so this passage includes text about the return of Jesus. And so we know that it will be harder before it gets glorious. But in the meantime, we can learn from this that he's calling us to faithfulness and he's calling us as a result or inside that faithfulness to witness to the gospel. And so I think personally that we need, and this is in the lines of uh, something I heard from Gavin Ortland, who uh, we interviewed, but we Christians need to think about heaven more. Christians need to think about the end times more because it brings us hope. It brings us uh, joy and consideration, like Andre said, not to store things in the world, but to store up treasure in heaven. And so just to connect it to Advent, uh, look forward to the day when Jesus returns with longing and with expectation. And so thanks for joining us and join us this Thursday for uh, more insight or a deeper conversation into eschatology but thanks for again thanks again for joining us uh, today for mark chapter 13 and we'll talk to you on thursday